Well, after my self-congratulatory fantasy football celebration, we're going to continue to talk about humility today <laughs> and the humility of, of a Christian believer. I'm I am going to see if I can find a way to turn that into like a chain and just wear it while I preach. This is the one day I'm really upset I don't have like a legitimate podium so I can just have it sitting up here for all to see, but that'll be okay. Today we look at the next step in humility for the believer, like I said. So far we've discussed how believers must put others first. We've also discussed how believers must place a priority on the advancement of the gospel. Today we take it one step further and discuss how as believers, as a humble believer, the only thing that should matter to us is the exaltation of Christ. Okay, the exaltation of Christ. So we left Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 18. Today we pick up in verse 19, and we're going to continue all the way to 27. I'm going to read the passage as a whole, and then we'll kind of just break it down verse by verse, so to speak, as we go. It says, For I know through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If, I'm going, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two, a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Okay. So in this first verse, verse 19, Paul's letter, we see him use the word deliverance, right? Let's read that verse just one more time. It says, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. If we look at this word in the original language. This word is used two ways. It's used for spiritual deliverance and it's used for physical deliverance. Now, it would seem, based on the verses that follow, that Paul is using this word in both ways. He's talking both of his spiritual deliverance and of his physical deliverance. But if we look at the verses just right after that verse, it would seem that he is far more concerned with what happens to him spiritually, right? It's not about what may happen to my physical body. It's not what happens. It's not about how this may turn out if I am to lose my life. It's that I continue through to the end of my race unashamed, full of faith, and humility. It seems that from this we learn our first important message lesson two from, from this section of Paul's letter, and it's this. Humble Christians are more concerned with spiritual deliverance than physical deliverance. Humble Christians are more concerned with spiritual deliverance than physical deliverance. 
when I read this passage and I kind of think about this message that we see here, I'm always reminded of a story that we heard uh, almost yearly at Evangel. And even though I heard this sermon preached yearly at Evangel, it it never lost its significance to me. And one of the uh, coach's wives uh, at the university would come and she'd give a message and she'd talk about the story of her and her sister. You see, her and her sister were married to two young men who became best friends. And those best friends decided to go on a float trip by themselves, a floating and fishing trip. Well, when it came time for them to check in later that evening, they never did. And when they called them, they couldn't get a hold of them, and they never returned to their campsite. And so the next day, they sent out a search party, and they found both of them. Both of them had drowned. And what they could figure out is that one had somehow tipped over in his kayak and he got stuck in an undertow and the other one tried to come and rescue him and in doing so lost his life as well. And she talks about how for her, the situation, as you would imagine, was just completely devastating, how she became angry and bitter, but how her sister ran out into the front yard of the house that they were at, dropped to her knees and just started worshiping God thanking him for the time that she had had with her husband, praying that he would use that situation for, for her better and for the betterment of others. That, if you ask me, is the epitome, the epitome of humility. And I could tell you that I would much more likely be the sister angry and bitter and confused and distraught than the one who was also distraught but still finding a way to worship God. Humble Christians are more concerned with spiritual deliverance than physical deliverance, but they knew that while their husbands had had lost their lives, they were with Jesus. Spiritually, they had been delivered. And when we get to this place as Christians, when we find this amount of maturity in our walk with God, we're able to find sufficient peace for this outlook, knowing that we are sustained not only by the prayers of others, but by the Spirit of Christ. And I can't help but think when we read this and when we look at this about how closely faith and humility are related. Faith and humility are so closely related. You see, it seems that humility exists in us because we are faithful. And that because we are faithful, we are able to approach life with humility. There's kind of this give and take, but I can tell you, I can tell you just for me personally that the times in my life where I have struggled to be faithful, where I have struggled to believe, where I have struggled to see the good in a situation, it was because I felt like I was being unjustly treated. It's because I was approaching a situation without the humility that it required. Because my first question to God was, why me? Not, God, how might you use this situation for my better and for the betterment of others? And that really is kind of a key question that you're going to hear me repeat throughout this series and you've already heard in the previous weeks because that's really what we are battling between. It's really what we're battling between. Why am I in this situation? I don't deserve it. Or, I'm in this situation. God, how can you use it? How can you use it? And faith is what allows us to choose the latter. Faith is what allows us to approach life in such a way that says, God, I know you are in control. 
God, I know you are working for my good. God, I know that this is a terrible situation. This is a tragedy. This is, this is a situation that I don't want to be in, but Lord, use it. Lord, use it. Lord, use me. May somehow, some way, Christ be exalted through what's happening in my life. We are faithful and we are able to approach life with humility, not looking at how circumstances can be changed, but again, how they might be used. In verse 20, Paul says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. You see, Paul writes these words unsure about his future. Later, he tells us in this section of this letter that he's confident that he will find some sort of spirit, some sort of physical deliverance, that he knows that he will stay because it is better for them that he stays. And we'll get to that. But as he writes these words, he just honestly doesn't know. I don't know if they're going to take my life. I don't know if I will be released. But he uses a really interesting term here. The Greek word is apokaradokia. Why do you care about that? I don't know, other than to tell you this. It's used only in one other place in Scripture, in Romans 8.19. And the literal meaning of the word is to strain one's neck to see what is coming in the future. And as I read this and I studied this, I started to think about Winifred sitting in the back seat of the truck, right? As we are driving down the road and we're like, oh, look, there's an airplane. And she, where? I can't see. There's a deer up here. Can you see this deer? And she's like, I can't see. You guys won't let me see it. Turn the truck, right? Like neck going all over the place. All of a sudden she's six inches taller. She's looking all around. She just wants to see what we see. She's excited for what is upcoming. And that is how Paul is looking at this situation with excitement. And if we can't see that that is based in humility as this man is writing this letter in prison, unsure of whether or not he will live or die, I don't know where we're going to see humility in this story. But he's straining his neck with excitement to see what is coming down the road. Paul is excited regardless of what is going to come because he knows that either way, Christ will be exalted. If he loses his life, the gospel will prosper. People will be inspired. They will continue to share. They will continue to, to be emboldened to make a difference for Christ. We've already seen that because they're already that way just because of his imprisonment. But if they see their leader unashamed, unafraid, full of faith and humility, continuing to preach the gospel all the way to his death, the only thing that that is going to do is make them step out in the power of God to exalt Christ in their world. But he also knows that, that if somehow that situation isn't what happens, if he is delivered, then two, Christ will be exalted. You see, whether in life or death, Christ would be magnified by Paul's situation. And that is how a humble Christian approaches life. And it takes a long time. Well, I shouldn't say that. It took me a long time to get there. It took me, I feel like, a really long time to get there. To change my point of view from why me, and I don't deserve this, to God, how can you use this? 
God, how is this making me better? And I'll be honest, sometimes the first step is, God, why me? And then it's, God, I'm sorry. How can you use this? Right? But whether in death or life, Christ would be magnified. This is the, this, this is also the epitome of humility. The epitome of humility. In that, it reflects the humility of Christ as he approaches the cross. Come what may, God will be first. Remember when Christ prayed, God, if you can take this cup from me, do so, please. But God, not my will, not my will, not what I desire, but what you desire be done. Then we get verse 21. And in this, it's a small verse, but man, does it pack a punch where Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, Paul will either continue in the faithful service of Christ or the gospel will be furthered by his death and he will get to be with his Savior. And again, we see that a humble Christian's purpose for living isn't to glorify themselves, but to ensure that Christ be glorified in and through them. Everything we do must point to Christ. Everything. Everything. Right? The way we fix our cars when we're by ourselves and things don't go the way we want them to go or we can't get that nut or that bolt to break loose and it finally does and then we bust our hand open on some metal piece next to it and you want to say what you want to say and no one's really around, so who are you affecting, right? But it's all practice. The way we behave when we watch a Chiefs game and our four-year-old walks in front of the screen. All moments to exercise glorifying Christ in everything that we do. And let's be honest, if we can't glorify Christ in those small things that don't really matter, right? Like my four-year-old walking in front of the screen isn't going to affect how the Chiefs play. And me cursing when I hit my hand on something or you wanting to curse when you hit your hand on something isn't glorifying God anymore. It doesn't make the pain go away, even though some of us probably feel like it does, right? What are we chasing? What are we chasing? Because if we can't glorify in the small little things, it's going to be really hard to glorify God when we really face a big thing, right? when we, we really are in the midst of a tragedy, when we are really in the midst of a trial or of tribulation, it's going to be more difficult, more difficult. But if we are breathing, if we are breathing, we should be breathing life into this world by sharing the gospel of Christ. If we're breathing, we should be glorifying Christ. It is the purpose and mission that he himself instilled in us with the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Tell them about what I have done. Tell them about what God has done through me. As Paul continues in verse 22 and 23, we see yet another show of humility where he says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to part 
to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And he goes on to say in 24, which we'll cover in a minute, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. You see, there is this struggle in Christian life that comes once you reach a certain level of spiritual maturity. We recognize that there is nothing, and I mean nothing, better than to be with Christ. There is nothing better than to be with Christ. And the most magnificent thing to me that God has done is that he gave us the Holy Spirit so that we can experience that while we're here on this earth. But yet being with the physical person, being in the actual presence, standing with Christ, there is nothing we will ever experience that is better than that. And so once we reach that point, we live life. We live life almost with with one foot in this life and one foot in the next. And that is based out of humility, realizing that what am I? What am I? I'm just the, 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 the wheat, you know, the, the chaff ready to be blown away. That, that's all I am. I'm here today and I'm gone tomorrow. But once I'm gone, I will be with Christ for eternity. And so I know that that is far better. And, 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 and that is based in humility. But what comes from that is a gift of freedom. Of realizing that I know where my eternity rests. And so what people think of me in this life isn't going to change who I am. What people push me to do in this life isn't going to change how I behave or how I chase after Christ in all that I do. And I have this freedom, this freedom of knowing that I am secure. I am secure. No matter what may come, I am secure. So test my life. Take my life. Put me in the midst of any storm. Not saying that that's what I desire, okay? Not saying that. Not saying that that's what you have to desire. Just saying that I know that if I've been put in those situations, I am fine. I am fine. Because if I end up with Christ, there's nothing better. Nothing better. But if I get to stay here on this earth, then I get to be in the service of Christ. And I get to continue to try to produce fruitful labor for Christ. It's why Paul says in verses 24 and 25, it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. You see, humble Christians put others' needs before their own desires. When you first read this passage, it really seems like Paul is just kind of humble bragging, right? I mean, it really does. Like when I first read it, I was like, well, that doesn't seem very humble, right? Paul's like, if I die, I get to go to be with Jesus, but it would be so much better for you that I stay. So I am going to stick around. You're welcome. I mean, that's kind of like the first impression. But you have to know Paul. You have to read his other letters and know his other words. You see, Paul truly desires nothing more than to be with Christ. 
from the day his life changed and he was blinded and then his eyes were opened by Christ, his desire, his thought process, his whole outlook is that I am going to be a martyr for this man. They will kill me on his behalf because I will never cease. I will never shut up. They will never not hear about this man. And they will take my life because of it. And as crazy as it sounds, that's where Paul's heart is. That is his desire. But in his humility, seeing that these people need continued leadership, that these people need somebody to serve them on behalf of Christ, that they, while strong in their faith, are still kind of in those younger stages where they need to grow and mature and be educated and experience God for who God really is. He says, I will put aside the thing that I desire most, which is to be with Christ, in order that I might guarantee that one day you will be with me with Christ. Humble Christians put others' needs before their own desires, and it's not an easy thing to do, but it is a thing we must do. Paul wishes to be with Christ, but he knows that if he stays and works on behalf of Christ, Christ will abound. Knowing this, he writes in verse 26, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. See their progress and the joy experienced at Paul's delivery and because of Paul's delivery will be a witness for the power of Christ. You see what's happening here with God. There are two distinct outcomes far from one another. Paul will lose his life or Paul will continue to live his life, but either way, Christ will be magnified. Either way, Christ will receive the glory. Either way, the gospel will be advanced. Christ will be first. Then in verse 27, we get hit again with some big stuff. Big stuff. Whatever happens, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, uh, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. See, whatever happens to me as Paul, whether I die or whether I'm set free or whether you see me again or whether you don't, whatever happens, what's important is that you continue to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Don't become enraged. Don't become inflamed. Don't allow this to make you bitter. Don't allow this to make you angry. Don't allow this to change your focus because I'm not important. I'm not important, but Christ is. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, which is literally to to live in such a way that honors the sacrifice Christ made for you. Christ willingly went to the cross had his body broken, died on the cross, shed his blood. He did all of those things specifically for you. So we should be striving as believers to live in such a way that, that magnifies that sacrifice, that makes us somehow worthy of that sacrifice. And hey, 
It's part of life. Be comfortable with the fact that you may never get there. Okay? Sorry. This is me saying it, not Christ, because he obviously thought the opposite because he went and died for you. But there's nothing that's going to ever make you worthy of his blood other than the fact that he himself said, you are worthy of my blood. Does that make sense? When I say that, so understand that we live in such a way that that tries to honor that sacrifice, that tries to make us worthy of that sacrifice, but we're never going to get to the place where we can say, well, I've done enough, or well, I'm finally there, or well, good thing Christ died for me because I got this thing all figured out, right? But we can live in such a way that daily tries to honor what Christ did for us. As Christians, living for Christ and one another only succeeds if we see the other as more important and more significant than ourselves. Okay? That, I think, is humility for the believer. Of seeing Christ, of seeing God the Father, of seeing the Spirit, what they want from us, where they lead us, as more important than what we want for us and where we might lead ourselves. And seeing our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and those who are not brothers and sisters in Christ, but just fellow creations of God as more important than ourselves. It's important that we do this because it mimics Christ who saw God the Father as worthy worthy to follow all the way to the cross, all the way to the cross, and saw the rest of creation as worthy to, to sacrifice for. Christ, the only human to walk this earth who is worthy of adoration, yet saw himself unworthy of it. Who said, I'm not good, but God is good. I'm not good, but God is good. When it comes down to it, here's what we must be able to say. For me, To live is Christ, but to die is gain. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day and for this message. Lord, how can we comprehend this? Open our hearts and open our minds to the truth that we see in your word. God, there is nothing that we could possibly ever do to deserve the sacrifice that you provided for us, and yet you said... For some reason, beyond my comprehension, that we were worth it. And Christ agreed. So, God, as we live this life, may we continue to grow spiritually. May we continue to mature as we mimic Christ in our daily lives. As we approach others with humility. As we seek to put God's will for our life before our own. God, help us to... to not look at our circumstance, but keep our eyes on our God who is bigger than our circumstance. You part seas, you move mountains, you awake the dead. You make what the world says is not be. You are all powerful. You are all worthy. God, may our lives be lived as a sacrifice to you. And may everything we do on behalf of others point the world to Christ 
because it's, it's not about us. It's not about what's happening to us that shouldn't be, about what we don't deserve, about what we want or don't want, about what we like or what we don't like. God, it is about helping the world to see you. So give us that mindset. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. As we continue our service, we're going to stand right now and we're going to worship. But if you need to pray with somebody, I would ask that you be bold enough to step out and do so. Uh, Ashley, I'm going to ask you to be kind of back there and be ready to pray with people. Uh, Rodney, would you mind standing kind of back in the back and he'll be there to pray with people. And then I'll be back over there ready to pray with you as well. There is no issue too big and there is no issue too small to take to the Lord. He is concerned with each and every aspect of your life. That is what relationship is, and that is what he wants with you. So if you have something to pray about, come pray with one of the three of us. If you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, there is no better time than right now in this moment to fix that, to have that conversation with someone here. Come see me. Let's discuss it. Let's talk about what that looks like and what the next steps are for you. If you're not a member of our church, but you want to be a member of our church, let's discuss that after service. We would be honored to welcome you into the Crosspoint family. Otherwise, what you need to focus on now is worshiping God with what he deserves, which is your adoration and 100% of it. Stand with us now and let's worship.